Thankfully, we can know from the Bible that the moment that we repented and came to Christ in faith, his blood payment, the sacrifice that he made upon the cross, was paid on to our account. We were forgiven. Christ did that, of course, because he loves us, and the Father sent the Son for that purpose because he loves us. That's great love. That's a great love. Be encouraged tonight that you are loved greatly uh, by God the Father, God the Son. Take your Bible, please, and turn to Psalm 150. Uh, we come to the end of the Psalms tonight. Uh, we've not seen every single Psalm in our series, but uh, we've been pretty faithful uh, here in the last half of the Psalms uh, as we've moved through the book. And uh, tonight, uh, we arrive at the capstone of this series of Psalms uh, that deals with the topic of praise and uh, the command that we've seen uh, repeatedly uh, to praise the Lord. I've, I've made the observation a couple of times recently that the Bible is filled with hope. That's true. It's filled with hope, certain hope for believers. Uh, it's filled with love, God's love for everyone. Uh, and it's filled with praise and the command that God's people, the beneficiaries of his love, of his grace, uh, make it our business to praise him. Uh, for he is a profoundly praiseworthy God. The Bible is filled with commands to praise the Lord. We've seen some of them uh, in recent months. Uh, the command praise the Lord shows up 33 times, 19 times in the Psalms. The phrase praise ye, praise everybody, shows up 27 times, 24 times here in the Psalms. The phrase praise him, the command, shows up 18 times, all of them in the Psalms. The Psalms are largely praise songs. Uh, not all of them, but many of them certainly are praise songs. And so we, we're not surprised to find the language of praise uh, praising God and singing praises here in the Psalms. The, the command, sing praises to God, shows up once in the Psalms, and the simple command, praise God, shows up twice, including one time here uh, in our passage tonight, Psalm 150. Now, along the way, uh, in our recent uh, time in the Psalms, we've seen many reasons uh, that God is to be praised, many commands to praise him, and many reasons uh, that he is so worthy of praise. And the Lord will add some additional reasons here tonight, and he also will add some instruction regarding how he wants us to be in the business of praising him. And I'll point out to you tonight just kind of the structure of the psalm. We've, we've looked recently at, at this idea of the structure of not only uh, many of the Psalms, but also the Proverbs. They use this uh, Hebrew poetic structure called the chiasm, uh, where basically you'll have idea one, idea two, idea three, and then a central idea that they all drive to or point to, and then the theme will kind of pull away from that central theme, but in reverse order. So it'll go one, two, three, main idea, uh, and then three, two, one, uh, all of which serves to drive to and support the main idea uh, and to remind us of the supporting themes. And this is just one of the beautiful ways that uh, God has worked uh, in the Psalms, in the songs uh, of Scripture, this wonderful Hebrew poetry uh, that is the book of Psalms. So uh, tonight, uh, the, the structure I see is a structure that answers questions and uh, I've said recently it's, it's a great thing to ask questions of Scripture, to interrogate it, if you will. Not to come with a, a, a critical eye uh, questioning, are you really the Word of God? No, but to ask questions. God, what would you have me to see? How would you have me to apply it? You can ask other questions, too. You can ask the who, what, where, when, why questions. Those will help you uh, to begin to understand uh, a text that can be uh, certain texts that can be uh, a little bit difficult at times. So here we'll see a what, what are we commanded to do, who's commanded, uh, we'll see why. And right here at the heart of the passage, there's, there's two ideas we'll see. Uh, why are we commanded to do that, or, or why is God worthy of praise? And then uh, some of the ways that he desires us to praise him. Uh, and then we kind of back out from that central part, and the who and the what are revisited. And 
Of course, the who and the what are uh, praise ye the Lord, hallelujah. Uh, hallelujah, so many of our psalms have begun and ended that way, and they begin and end that way because they're employing this, this same structure uh, that emphasizes a central truth, uh, typically at least. So uh, here in Psalm 150, it's just six verses. Uh, it's just six verses. Someone's saying, praise God, praise God, it's just six verses tonight. Well, that's okay. I want you to consider this. In just six short verses, there are 13 specific commands to praise the Lord. Uh, some of them, uh, many of them, answer these questions, why is he so worthy of praise, and how should I praise him? Uh, you get the idea tonight that God is both worthy of praise and desiring of praise and repeatedly commands us to be in the business of praising him, giving him honor, giving him glory, lifting him up to each other, uh, to the lost, and to him in our prayers. Uh, there, there's, wherever we are, whomever we're speaking to is an opportunity uh, to praise God, to make him known, uh, to glorify him. Uh, do that in your conversation with each other. I know we, we have a habit of saying praise God, but make it more than that. Uh, praise God who did that. Uh, praise God for helping you to do whatever it is. Um, and, and do the same in your conversation with lost people. Praise God for who he is, for what he's like, and yes, what he has done uh, in your life to help you. Uh, take the opportunity uh, to praise him. He desires that. Uh, he desires that. That pleases him, uh, and no doubt he'll bless us for that. I'd like to read the psalm first tonight. Again, just six short verses. I'll pray quickly and jump in. And we'll make a few observations here tonight. Uh, Psalm 150, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, The Lord commands, praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah in the Hebrew. Uh, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high sounding cymbals. With music. Praise him with music. Verse 6 says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye, you all, all of us. Praise ye the Lord. Let's stop there and bow our heads and pray. Father God, we do praise you tonight. I pray, Lord, that everyone who is listening everywhere will take a moment and just say, Lord, I praise you tonight. I thank you for who you are and what you're like. I thank you for what you've done for me. Father, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your only begotten son to take the penalty, the punishment that I deserve so that I could be forgiven. Lord, I praise you for who you are, your greatness, your holiness. Lord, I praise you tonight, and I thank you. I thank you for the amazing, unthinkable privilege of knowing you, of being in a relationship with you, of being able to come to you boldly because of Christ. Father, thank you for this wonderful privilege. Lord, help me uh, as I bring uh, this message, these six uh, verses tonight, I pray that they would be an encouragement to your people. I pray they would be a great encouragement, a help, and an encouragement, of course, to be in the business of praising you. Lord, help us now. I pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so let's begin tonight. What's commanded? Well, if you've been uh, in, our, in our Psalm series at all in recent weeks, you know what is commanded is praise. Uh, look here in verse 1 again. Praise. That, that's the command. Lift God up, glorify him, magnify him, exalt him. Uh, use your everything, you, use your whole being uh, to do that. Of course, we understand as well who is commanded. It's the ye, and at our church, uh, everybody knows ye is all of us. It's uh, one of the two uh, or one of the several why pronouns that are plural. This one refers to everyone. Praise ye. So this is 
uh, we, what is commanded is praise. Who is commanded to do it? Uh, ye, all of us, who are we to praise the Lord? Uh, he alone is worthy uh, of our praise. And so we understand these, uh, these psalms in, in this section of, of the book begin uh, and end with this command. Hallelujah, praise ye, uh, praise ye the Lord. Uh, now, so that's the what, that's the who, uh, and then the why. And the Lord kind of gets right into the business here. Uh, the, the main purpose, uh, it would seem, of this particular psalm and giving us reasons to do that. I've said many times recently, the fact that God has said to praise him should be enough. Uh, God says, therefore, we will do uh, in God's strength with the aid of his grace as we yield to him. Uh, it would be enough to just know that God, God's commanded us to obey, and so we obey. Uh, but the Lord is gracious, and he is loving, and he desires to encourage us. Uh, and so he gives us reasons here uh, to praise him. Beginning in the second half of verse 1, uh, we see the, the reason why, the reason why uh, being uh, expanded upon here. Uh, we see praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in the firmament, uh, in the firmament or expanse of his power. Now, you might look at this verse and say, I think that might be more of the where. He does say, uh, the psalmist does say, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in the firmament uh, of his power. It might refer to uh, places, and I guess technically that would be correct, but these are places that reveal the praiseworthiness of God. Uh, and so I'm going to treat these as reasons uh, to praise him. So uh, I, would, I would submit to you that here we see uh, two places that picture the worthiness of God to be praised. What's the first one? Well, the psalmist says, praise God in his sanctuary, uh, in his sanctuary. Throughout our King James Bible, the word sanctuary uh, is commonly translated holy or holiness. And of course, you see the word sanctuary, and you think of uh, the holy of holies there uh, in the tabernacle uh, or at the temple in, in Jerusalem. Uh, you, you think of uh, the, the place which was holy because that was the place where the Holy One, the God, uh, the only God who is perfectly holy, came uh, and dwelt among his people uh, there in the, the traveling tabernacle first, the tent in the wilderness, uh, and then in a similar structure that was more permanent uh, there upon the, the temple mount. And uh, so as we think of the place, uh, the sanctuary, the tabernacle, we think of the person who dwelt there uh, and his, uh, one of his main attributes uh, being his holiness. Uh, again, this word translated sanctuary uh, far more commonly actually is translated uh, holy or holiness. I'll give you a couple of uh, references that I would ask you to jot down tonight. Psalm 99 and verse 3. Psalm 99 verse 3 says, let them praise it, the psalmist there is praying. He's praying to the Lord. And he says, let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. And he says, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. He's, he's holy. He's never sinned. He's never had a sinful thought. He's never done a sinful thing. There is no action that he's ever committed or is recorded in Scripture uh, that, that uh, reveals him to be a God who has sinned even the smallest sin ever. Imagine that. A perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, perfectly spotless God. God the Father, God the Son, uh, God the Holy Ghost. Listen, his holiness, his holiness uh, is the key reason why we need a Savior. We are sinners. And his holiness... Uh, is also the reason why Christ could be the sacrifice who died in our place. Uh, we need a Savior because of God's holiness, and Christ can be that Savior because he's God the Son, a perfect, holy, uh, unblemished sacrifice. Uh, what, what an amazing thing that we have a, a God who is absolutely, totally perfect, holy, completely as apart from sin as anything could be. Just stop and think about that. Uh, imagine how difficult it would be for us to be absolutely, totally without sin uh, for a day, a week, a month. Uh, if, if we could see a list of all of our sins 
uh, I rather suspect it would be uh, terrible. It, it, would be, it would be horrible. Uh, it would be uh, profoundly convicting. Uh, praise God, the blood of Christ covers every one of them. And praise God for a Savior who had no sin on, on the list at all. Our God is perfectly holy. And so uh, this phrase, praise God in his uh, sanctuary, uh, I believe alludes to his praiseworthiness as a holy God. Uh, praise him for his holiness. The next uh, part of the verse says, praise him in the firmament of his power, in the firmament of his power. The firmament, of course, uh, refers to the, the great expanse. There in Genesis 1 uh, and verse 6, we see God created the firmament. Uh, he called it heaven. Of course, that would be the second heaven. Uh, the firmament would be the place uh, basically between here and heaven, the place where the sun and the moon and the stars are. That great expanse. Uh, I believe it's measurable. I believe it's finite, according to Scripture. Uh, I believe Scripture shows us to be God's creation to be finite. Uh, there's there's a, a, a measurable distance between us and, and the, the boundary of his creation, uh, the crystal sea, perhaps, there at the boundary uh, of heaven, of the third heaven. Uh, just the enormity, uh, the greatness of the expanse uh, alludes to a God who is not only holy, but a God who is a God of great power. And in fact, that's what the phrase says. Uh, the second part of uh, verse 1 says, Praise him in the firmament, the great expanse of his power. Uh, he is a God of unlimited power. He can do anything, anytime, anywhere he chooses. He's a God who can meet our needs no matter how great they are. Uh, and despite the fact that he's meeting the needs of millions of other believers uh, around the world at the same time, he's a God uh, who can multitask. Amen? Uh, he, he's a God who can do whatever he desires to do, uh, whatever he needs to do. And boy, what an amazing truth and what an amazing um, attribute, his omnipotence, his unlimited power. Uh, the Bible says in Psalm 21 and verse 3, uh, again, the psalmist is praying. I encourage you to get that down and help you pay attention, and you'll have some notes that you can reflect back on. Psalm, Psalm 21 and verse 3, the psalmist says, Be thou exalted, O Lord, in thine own strength. So will we sing and praise thy power. The psalmist said, We'll sing and praise. We'll praise and sing you, Lord, uh, for your power. Uh, we'll sing about it. We'll praise you for it. Your power, uh, just, just the fact that you're a God of unlimited power. Uh, Lord, you're, you're a God who, who, who works your power, who, who, who accomplishes great things in our life, and who's able to do that uh, because of, of your power, and, uh, because of your love, and because of your mercy. All of his attributes work in, in concert. Uh, they're, they're, they never... Uh, harm God's other attributes. He's, he's powerful. He exercises his power in love. He's not, he's not an evil God who, does, who uses his power to do evil things like many men have done uh, throughout history. He's a holy God who exercises his unlimited power according to his holiness. Praise God. Uh, praise God. These two attributes work in concert uh, and never against one another. Uh, by the way, if if the thrust of this phrase, or these two phrases, praise God in his sanctuary uh, and praise him in the firmament uh, or expanse of his power, if they're intended to be more about those places than about the attributes that they reveal, uh, you have a God who's worthy of praise all the way from uh, an earthly sanctuary in the tabernacle across the expanse of the firmament between the tabernacle, the earthly tabernacle, and heaven, uh, and all the way back again. He's a God who is worthy of praise all throughout his creation uh, and worthy of praise in part for his holiness and his power. In Psalm 62 and verse 11, the Bible says God... Let me try that again. God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. It belongs to him. He is powerful. Jeremiah famously exclaimed in Jeremiah 32 and verse 17, Ah, Lord God. Say it with me if you know the verse. Ah, Lord God. I, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power uh, and stretched out arm and there is nothing too hard for thee. That'd be a great verse to learn. 
If you have trouble learning it, ask God to help you. If you still have trouble, ask God to help you again. But write it down. Put it somewhere where you'll be able to refer to that as you pray. And I want to encourage you this week. This week, I want to encourage you to pray that verse. Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heaven uh, and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. And there is nothing too hard for thee. Just take a minute and praise God and be encouraged as you do and let God bless you as you do and let yourself be reminded that there's nothing too hard for a God who has unlimited power, uh, a God who, and, and a God who will uh, exercise that power according to his love and his mercy. And let that encourage you to pray. Uh, ask God to show you your needs. And uh, if some of them feel too big for God to answer, Remember this verse, there's nothing too hard for thee, Lord. And therefore, I will pray the little prayers and the medium-sized prayers and the large prayers and the extra-large prayers and uh, on from there. The things that seem impossible, Lord, they're not, they're not too hard for thee. Psalm 66 and verse 3, write that reference down, please. Say unto God, the psalmist writes, how terrible art thou in thy works. Terrible doesn't mean bad, it means awesome. How terrible or awesome art thou in thy works. Through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. And of course, at the second coming of Christ, at the end of the tribulation period, uh, we will see the Lord's enemies submit to his authority uh, and his power. Psalm 89 and verse 13, the Bible says, The psalmist prays to the Lord, Thou hast a mighty arm. Strong is thine hand, thy hand, and high is thy right hand. Listen, the, the, the power of God, the omnipotence of God uh, is all over the Bible. It's, it's, no less, uh, it's no less present in the Bible than our hope or his love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, the Bible says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The preaching of the cross is the power of God. Uh, we preach the cross, we preach the gospel in God's power, uh, and we know God has power to save us uh, because of Christ and the cross. And, and we, know, uh, we know the convicting power of God because of the Holy Spirit uh, who, who ministers conviction to us uh, in order that we would be saved. Uh, and we know that once we come to the Lord, uh, once we are drawn to him, once we come to him and, and place our faith in Christ, we know a power from God in our lives as we yield to him. What a joy. Uh, what a privilege. What a reason to praise God. Lord, thank you for saving me. Uh, thank you for all the benefits of my salvation. Thank you for the privilege to serve you. Thank you, as we saw this morning, uh, for the privilege to know that you've enabled us to serve you and given us a place to serve you and a gift, a spiritual gift, and so forth. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 4, speaking of Christ, Paul writes, For though he was crucified through weakness, uh, a voluntary weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Listen, there is a power available to us to live the life that God has called us to this side of heaven. But you understand, if we die before the rapture, if we die before the Lord catches away believers, the same power that was involved in raising Christ from the dead, the very same power will be the power that raises us from the dead. What an amazing thing. Imagine a God who has power to raise his people from the dead, uh, to raise their bodies and to perfect them and to make them incorruptible throughout all of uh, eternity future. That's a God of great power. Uh, do you think we underestimate the power of God at times? Do you think there might be times, uh, or perhaps even most of the time, do you think that most of the time, we underestimate the power of God. We don't value it. We don't comprehend it. Uh, God the Father raised God the Son from the dead. I know Jesus was involved in that as well as the Holy Spirit as well, but uh, they, they, they work cooperatively uh, to demonstrate God's power in raising our Savior from the dead. Imagine 
the power that that requires. I don't have that power. <laughs> I have no power uh, uh, apart from Christ. Uh, but in Christ, we have, we have a tremendous power. Uh, we have a tremendous power to accomplish those things the Lord has called us uh, to accomplish. And so we ought to be in the business of praising God for the power that we know in our lives today. Uh, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7, write the reference down, please. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7, the Bible says, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Believers have a power from God available to us in our lives today. We have no excuse uh, for disobedience. We can find strength in the Lord to obey as we yield. We have no excuse for not serving. We can find strength and the, the enablement of God as we yield to serve uh, to do so. We have no excuse for disobedience. We can find grace from the Lord, strength from him, power, uh, power, uh, to use Paul's word, uh, well, it's God's word given to Paul there in 2 Timothy 1.7, power from God uh, to accomplish that which God desires uh, in our lives today. Look at verse 2 in our passage, please. Psalm 150, verse 2, the Lord reminds us, the Lord reminds us that his power is seen in his mighty acts. Uh, his mighty acts, not the book of Acts, but the things that he has accomplished throughout history. And just, just allow the Lord to fill your mind for a moment with some examples of the mighty things that God has accomplished, his mighty acts. Uh, verse 2, uh, praise him for his mighty acts. Is that, is that what the Bible says? Uh, verse 2 uh, says, praise him for his mighty acts. Uh, Psalm 106 and verse 2 says this, who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all his praise, all his praiseworthiness? Who can even begin to utter? Who can even begin to express the, the mightiness of that which God has accomplished? He spoke creation into existence. He spoke and it was, and it was good. Uh, what have you accomplished this past week? Uh, God accomplished all of creation uh, in six literal days, according to Scripture, uh, and then he rested as an example to us on the seventh day. What a, what a mighty God. We, we can just begin to comprehend, to speak forth uh, the, the expansive mightiness, the tremendous uh, mightiness of God's acts. Um, again, he's a God who is all-powerful, and he's a God who lovingly applies his power for godly purposes. I want to say again tonight, and I really want you to get a hold of this tonight, all of God's attributes. Let me say it differently. God exercises all of his attributes in a way that is consistent with all of his attributes. His mightiness, his works that he has worked are always exercised by God uh, for loving purposes, for good purposes, uh, for holy purposes, uh, in accordance with his mercy. Praise God. Praise God. Uh, Psalm 145 and verse 4 says, One generation shall praise, Psalmist is praying again, One generation, Lord, shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty works. That's our job today. Uh, to be in the business of sharing, of proclaiming the mighty acts of God, uh, teaching the next generation that God is our creator. Uh, we did not come into existence through a random process that randomly assembled chemicals, um, uh, the precursors of, of proteins, amino acids, and uh, those somehow got uh, randomly assembled into proteins that through some kind of evolutionary process became us. Uh, that is profoundly unthinkable, uh, and, and thankfully we don't have to wonder about that. The Lord shows us that uh, we were, he created us in one day. We were the capstone of his creation. He created us in one day in his image, sharing some of his attributes, his so-called communicable attributes. If you're able to love, praise God, he shared that attribute with you. If we have any strength, praise God, he shares his strength uh, with us. If you're able to be gracious or merciful, praise God, he has shared those attributes uh, with us. Psalm 21 and verse 13, the Bible says, the psalmist prays, be thou exalted, Lord. Did we sing that, Zach? Be thou exalted. 
Be thou exalted, Lord, in thine own strength, so will we sing and praise thy power. Uh, singing uh, in church is about praising the Lord. Um, so we see, we've seen who, uh, who's to be, uh, I'm sorry, we've seen what, praise. Uh, all of us are called to do that, to do what? Praise ye the Lord. Uh, we've seen some reasons that he is so very worthy of praise. And now the, the, here at the center uh, of the passage, or nearing the center, in terms of, I guess in terms of word count, we're getting there at least, uh, the, the central theme, uh, not only um, why is God worthy of praise, but how does he desire to be praised? We see uh, the how answered beginning in the second part of verse 2. The second part of verse 2 basically teaches this. Um, however we're going to praise God, however you're going to do that, you want to take care that it is done in a way uh, through some type of vehicle or practice that is fitting, that is fitting, that recognizes his excellent greatness uh, is the phrase here. However you're going to do this, uh, it shouldn't be casual, it shouldn't be understated. Uh, think about this. If you were going to go and, and, and visit uh, some per person, not God, but some person uh, who had a, a place of authority, a place of power, uh, how would you approach them? you would not be overly casual. You would be purposeful. You would be intentional. You would use appropriate language. You would speak in a manner that was appropriate for the occasion uh, and the, the position of the person with whom you were speaking. And um, the Bible teaches us to do, take that same principle and apply it to the Lord. Um, you know, we, um, we, do have, we do have a great privilege in Christ uh, to come boldly to the Lord's throne. Uh, but boldly does not imply uh, disrespectfully or overly casually. Uh, when we come to the throne of God in prayer, uh, in praise, we are coming to the throne of God, of God. And so in the second part of verse 2, the Bible says, Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. He's not a God who is just good. Uh, he is good. Uh, he's a God who is a God of excellent greatness. Uh, his greatness is immeasurable. It is, it is excellent. Uh, it, is, it is profound in its magnitude. He's a God of greatness that is excellent. He's a profoundly great God and should be praised with that in mind. And so we can continue on here and say, well, okay, Lord, what would be, you can ask this question, what would be an example of a way to do that? And the Lord says, well, one way that would please me would be to use music to praise me. Use music to praise me. And we see that in the next several verses here. And so let's see them. Beginning in verse 3, the Bible says, praise him with the sound of the trumpet, the Hebrew shofar, uh, praise him with the psaltery. This is a stringed instrument that would be kind of harp-like. The next word is harp, so we know it's different. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet, sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery uh, and harp. These are instruments. Praise him with the timbrel in uh, dance. We talked about dance last week. Uh, this, this was something that we see in the Old Testament. It's not something that we see in the New Testament. Uh, there's a theory that perhaps we may dance uh, worshipful uh, dance in heaven. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, we'll find out. <laughs> we'll, we'll, leave that, we'll leave that on the list of things that we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments uh, and organs. Uh, the Hebrew word that's translated organs here uh, refers to an instrument that relies on air um, or breath. And of course, um, a traditional uh, organ, what well, today we have electronic organs, but a traditional organ uh, would rely upon air being forced through pipes. Think of a, a grand pipe organ. Uh, there was compressed air that was forced into the various pipes, and depending on the size of the pipe, the pitch would be higher or lower. Uh, and so that's, that's the word that's, that's used here. It's an instrument that uh, required breath, uh, breath to 
uh, to play uh, and to praise God uh, that way. Uh, verse 5 says, praise him upon the loud cymbals, praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. And, you know, <laughs> that's a verse that, that always causes some confusion. Hey, pastor, doesn't that mean that we necessarily should have uh, drums in our church? There's nothing inherently wrong with drums, of course. Uh, what, what becomes a problem is how they're used sometimes. Sometimes the, the beats that are worldly and sensual become a problem. They become a stumbling block, and so uh, we've avoided them for that reason. But there's nothing inherently wrong with any instrument. Uh, it's how the instrument is used. If the instrument can be used in a godly, appropriate way, in a manner that's appropriate for praising a God of great greatness, of excellent greatness, uh, that's fine. That's, that's fine. Now, uh, I'm going to take a breath and just uh, ask you to consider this. What are the Psalms? In the context of music, the Psalms are what? Um, hymns have both music and what, Zachary? They have lyrics, right? Hymns have both music and lyrics. And, of course, the Psalms are lyrics that were sung uh, traditionally, they were they were used in in worship. Uh, they are they are the lyrics that were sung uh, in worship. I've mentioned recently. I'd love to be able to find a way to do that, and uh, I think we'll we'll continue to work on that and see if we can't find a way to sing uh, some of the songs. That's how they are uh, were initially intended to be used. Um, listen, you may not be able to play an instrument, but you have your voice which is an instrument that can be used to make music and praise God, and God desires that. Uh, I think I made reference already tonight to Psalm 47 and verse 6. The Bible says, sing praises to God. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our king. Sing praises. I may not be a great mathematician, but I can count one, two, three, four times in one verse, the Lord commands us to sing praises to him. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our king. Sing praises. Lord, give us a heart to sing praises to you. Lord, help me to make a joyful noise. If you can't play an instrument, that's fine. Uh, take care to do the best job you can singing praises when you come into the church. Uh, just do the best job that you can. Uh, don't worry. Don't worry that someone's judging you. If they're judging you, that's on them. They're, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. You just sing praises and trust that that will please God as you are obeying him. Uh, the verse after that says, for God is, uh, in Psalm 47, that for God is the king of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. Five times in two verses in Psalm 47, the Lord says, hey, sing to me, my people, sing to me. Uh, that's his desire. Listen, we don't have time tonight to go into uh, a long discussion about music and, and a biblical philosophy of music in the church, but I do want to just remind you, uh, this, is, this is an issue still in churches, and I know a lot of churches feel like they've got this settled, but it's an issue that keeps coming around again. What kind of music should we use uh, in our church, Pastor? And uh, When I was called to serve as the pastor here, I, I told the church that, listen, uh, if you'll call me to be your pastor, uh, we're going to define and practice a biblical philosophy of music. We know God wants there to be music and he wants there to be singing, but we've got to take great care to let God define uh, what we sing and how we sing and the music that we bring into uh, the words that we sing. And so uh, I told the church that, that we would search the scriptures and, and I met with the men on a couple of occasions and, uh, and, and shared what I had found in, in searching the scriptures. And uh, you know, there's just a short list of things that I think define a, a solidly biblical philosophy uh, that leads to a solidly biblical practice of the, of the church music program. Let me just remind you of those real fast. I'm not going to dwell on this, but I, let, me, let me just list them out for you. I want you to get them down on paper, if you would, please. Uh, our, our music that we use should teach sound doctrine. We saw that in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 this morning, the importance of sound doctrine. Our, our music should teach sound doctrine, and it should reflect grace in our hearts. 
That's Colossians 3.16. Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So our music should reflect the truth of, of the Bible. Listen, we look at the hymns sometimes, and we were just talking about this this morning, actually. Uh, we love our hymns, and we're gonna, I, I hope our church will always sing the great hymns of the faith. It's okay to add new hymns, but, but hymns that are the good and solid and uh, traditional, uh, great. But we always have to look at them for the doctrine. And sometimes we find a, a phrase here or there that makes us a little queasy, and we may, we may not use that, that verse. We, we take great care in our church to uh, always be examining the lyrics. Do they teach sound doctrine? Uh, do they teach that? If not, we don't use them. Uh, secondly, uh, our music should encourage a reverent heart uh, before the special presence of God, in the special presence of God. Matthew 18 and verse 20 says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am uh, in the midst of them. Listen, when we come together, when we assemble together, you're in the special presence of God. That's a privilege that you do not enjoy outside uh, of, of the church assembly. Uh, and so you need to bear that in mind, what we sing, the style of music, what we say, how we sing, the condition of our heart as we sing. You are singing to a holy God in his special presence. That's a big deal. Uh, it's a great privilege, and so the music should be appropriate for the presence of God. Uh, thirdly, our, our music should encourage worship and spirit and truth, not a counterfeit emotionalism that we uh, sometimes people will describe as, oh, I felt the spirit. You know, as we repeated that one phrase 27 times in some of these uh, contemporary worship songs, I, I just felt the spirit. No, I'm sorry, it's more likely that the constant repetition uh, created a, a false impression, uh, a counterfeit emotional response to a practice that really isn't what the Bible teaches at all. Uh, our music should encourage worship in spirit and truth rather than a counterfeit emotionality. Uh, John 4 and verse 24 says this, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, fourthly, uh, our music and our, our philosophy of music, the, the, the music we choose to worship a holy God in his special presence should be consistent with not only who he is, but also our call to holiness. God has called us to be separate from sin, to be holy people. The Holy Spirit, the Holy, let me try that again. The Holy Spirit uh, ministers grace to lead a practically holy life as we yield to him. Our music should reflect the holiness of God and the holiness to which we are called. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 17 says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. I will receive you. God wants there to be a practical holiness in our lives. When you're saved, you took up a position of holiness before God's eyes, but he wants that to be lived out practically, and our music should reflect that. It can, uh, and it should. Uh, I think, fifthly, our, our music should promote an atmosphere of decently and orderliness. Our music should promote an atmosphere of decency and orderliness. This is important because the Lord has commanded in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 40 that all things be done decently and in order. Listen, you see some of the music or hear some of the music that's, that's used in churches. Uh, it's chaotic and it promotes a, a, a chaotic response uh, and, and, and a uh, a, rea a physical reaction that is nothing like the decency and orderliness to which God has called us as we assemble together. God is a God of decency and orderliness, and I believe it's entirely appropriate to apply that to our decisions about music. Lastly, lastly, our music should avoid placing a stumbling block before the brethren. It should avoid placing a stumbling block before the brethren. Uh, Romans 14 and verse 13 says, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. We should take care that our music would not utilize a style that would be a bridge to the music of the world, which is anything but holy. Uh, we should take care that our music 
uh, that its um, rhythm and, and beats do not provoke a sensual response. Much has been written and said about certain beats, uh, rock beats and, and related beats, uh, the beats that are uh, prominent in, in jazz music, even southern gospel music, uh, the style of syncopation and, and so forth. The beats can provoke a response that is not a godly thing uh, at all. Uh, if you find yourself swaying back and forth to a beat, you may find uh, that there's a, there's a response that's being evoked by the, the style of music, and, and typically it's, it's literally the beat uh, that is promoting something that is less than uh, godly, uh, less than what our music should be, and quite different from the, the response that we desire our music to provoke. And so, listen, this is just an example of how you can define a philosophy of music, and, and, and you could apply this more broadly to ministry. You can search the scriptures and see what God desires, and you can ask God to help you begin applying that to how you worship him, how you serve him, how our ministries are, are constructed and operated, and, and God will bless that. Uh, God will bless that. And those, Listen, those are just some of the reasons why we've uh, taken a stand regarding our music while we fought uh, for a music standard that we believe honors God uh, and his word. So uh, all of that to, to say this, why, why did we go down that road just for, just for a minute? Well, God shows us in this short psalm that he desires that we praise him with music. And so the music that we use should be music that is appropriate to praise this God, this great God, this great, holy, powerful, holy God. Lord, help us to praise you with music that is righteous and holy uh, and appropriate for your presence. Well, with that scene now, the, um, the, the why to praise God, uh, the how to praise God, uh, the psalmist begins to back out now from that and, and reviews uh, who's to be praised, who's to praise him. Uh, verse 6 says, let everything that hath breath uh, praise him. Let everything that hath breath. I was looking at this verse and, and comparing it to the verses that came just before it. Uh, there's two instruments there, the trumpet and the organ, that require breath, right? And I think this is, this is maybe an allusion back to that. Uh, praise him with these instruments that require breath. Not all of them did, but some of them did. Um, and it, the Lord says, you know what? <laughs> Whether or not you're using music to praise me, let everything that hath breath uh, praise me. Uh, the Lord broadens, broadens out the command. Whether you can use your breath to play an instrument to praise me, uh, if, if you have breath in your body, uh, invest that, please, in praising me. Let everything that hath breath uh, do what? Second part of verse 6, and we're done. Praise the Lord. And just in case you forgot, or just in case the first part of verse 6 isn't clear, uh, the Lord reiterates his command, praise ye, all of us. Who? The Lord, the one true God. Now that's a command, but I'll say again tonight, it's also a great privilege. Lord, give us a heart to recognize the privilege that it is to praise you uh, with our breath, whether it's singing in a service or singing at home uh, as, as need be, or, or using our breath to simply share the truth about who you are, about what you've done for us, about how we can know you, using our mouths, our breath, our speech to share your words with those who so desperately need it. Lord, we praise you tonight for being a God who is so worthy of praise. Thank you for instructing us about your praiseworthiness and how you desire to be praised, the purposes and the way that you desire and the reasons that you would have us to focus on. Lord, thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you indeed for these things. Lord, I thank you for being the God that you are. I praise you, Lord, tonight for your holiness and your power. I praise you, Lord, tonight for uh, being a God who has seen fit to reveal himself 
uh, in a general way in creation, but in a very special and particular way in your words. Lord, thank you for preserving your words. I praise you for that. Lord, thank you for employing your great power uh, to supernaturally preserve your words, that we might have them even today in our church in 2020. Father, thank you. Lord, I pray tonight that um, in these recent weeks and months, we've gotten a hold of the importance of investing ourselves in praising you, in prayer, in our discussions with each other, and to the lost who so desperately need you. Lord, I praise you tonight for saving me, my wife, my son, my church family. Lord, I thank you. I thank you. I'm grateful. Help us to take your praiseworthiness, the truth of your praiseworthiness, the truth of the gospel to people who still need to hear it. Lord, use us. Father, I thank you and I praise you that you enable us to serve you. Thank you for the privilege. Lord, I love you and I thank you and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Zachary will come and uh, lead us in a closing song and he'll close us in prayer. Thank you so much for being uh, with us. Uh, Wednesday night at 7, Lord willing, we'll be open for an in-person service. Services, all services are being live streamed as well. They are also available on our website as audio recordings, most of them at least, as well as on um, Apple Podcasts. You can just Google that, Long Hill Baptist Church Sermons, you'll find them. I encourage you, I encourage you to make every effort to listen live, if you're a member of our church, of course, uh, to be here for all of the uh, in-person services. Listen, right now, that's two services a week, one on Sunday morning and one on Wednesday night. I would encourage you to make that a priority. Uh, if you're um, healthy enough to do that, I would encourage you, please, to make that a priority. For those who can't be here due to health, we, no, we're praying for you. We're praying for you. We love you, and we're praying for you, and if we can do anything, please let us know. Please let me know, please.